0: Next on Community Matters, more than a week after the construction pause at the Marshall Megasite, Representative Jim Hotsma remains optimistic.
1: I just would be stunned if it were to be stopped as opposed
0: to paused. We'll talk more about that and the balance of power in the Michigan House as well. We'll also talk fire and environmental safety at the Marshall Megasite. We have booms, we have barriers, we have hazardous material socks that we can put down to contain the water runoff so that it doesn't go into the nearby river, it doesn't go into a watershed or things of that nature. That's all coming up on this edition of Community Matters for October 7, 2023. Brought to you by Lakeview Ford Lincoln in downtown Battle Creek. I'm Richard Pyatt. Good morning. Thanks for being with us on Community Matters. Richard Pyatt here, brought to you by Lakeview Ford Lincoln here on WBCK Saturday mornings and anytime at BattleCreekPodcast.com. Episodes there, ready for sharing or re review, so to speak, if uh, you're looking for those. Welcome back to Community Matters Now, Representative Jim Hotsma. Good morning, Richard. A little bit of uh, back and forth now since we last spoke because session has resumed since then. Back to the routine.
1: And it's been as uh, busy and as Interesting, as I would have predicted back around Labor Day.
0: Well, that'll leave us with some things to talk about. One of which, of course, since we last spoke, is uh, the situation with the prospective uh, Blue Oval development in Marshall and uh, the construction stoppage that's gone on there. At this point, it seems as though this is a sticking point for the UAW and Ford, as it relates to the contract negotiations that seem to be continuing, but at the outset, Governor Whitmer said she believed that Ford was being upfront and saying this is a pause and that they would resolve these issues and continue to move forward. Is that your sense based on what you've been hearing since she said that?
1: Yes, but first let me again thank your sponsor, Lakeview Forward Lincoln, for continuing to uh, underwrite these programs and get this ongoing uh, legislative perspective to community listeners. Uh, It is my belief that this is, in fact, a pause. If you've been between Battle Creek and Marshall in the last month or so, you know that this Ford Louisville Battery Park development is well underway. I would be very surprised that as much property improvement and modification at real property would be already completed and this be other than a pause. I concur with the governor. I don't think that this is a long durational pause. I do think that this does have a connectedness to the UAW, Ford Stellantis GM strike, I'm hopeful, as is the governor, that there will be a speedy resolution to the strike. And once that's accomplished, I'm hopeful that Ford will continue its investment in South Central Michigan.
0: Have you heard any response one way or another in terms of any maybe nervousness about any of this? And have other folks come to you and said, boy, could this really not happen?
1: I think it was so sudden. I think it took the governor by surprise. It certainly took me by surprise. And that's only 10 or so days ago. There hasn't been a lot of opportunity for people to say, hey, could this really happen? I just would be stunned if it were to be stopped as opposed to pause. This is a $3.5 billion investment in South Central Michigan. 2,500 jobs are in the balance. All kinds of spinoff activity and occupations are also in the balance. I don't think this is going to be other than a short lapse. There has been discussion in the legislature about how to ensure that we have some more guardrails in context of uh, subsidizing economic development in a context such as this. Just this week in the state Senate, Mallory McMorrow, who's chair of the Senate Economic and Community Development Committee, uh, introduced legislation which would require that such subsidies in the future have some local engagement before, in fact, the subsidy is made and also require that 20% of the subsidies awarded for economic development uh, go directly to community infrastructure, such as childcare, community infrastructure, such as road repair.
0: Yeah. So let's understand what that proposal means, really. Uh, that means that part of the subsidies would go in a different direction to support these community ancillary kind of things that happen as a result of big developments like this. And that would be the requirement. Right now it goes entirely to, say in this case, Ford. Is that the distinction?
1: Yes. I think we're a long ways from that legislation just presented earlier this first week of October from becoming law. Uh, It's just being processed by those looking at it, especially on the state Senate side. But in the future. And there's a lot of money going to local infrastructure in connection with this development of the Ford Blue Oval Battery Park in Marshall. But in uh, this development, there definitely would be a requirement before the enhancement grant subsidy is afforded 20% set off for the local community improvements.
0: So I guess the question is, as my grandfather used to say, how does that grab you? (laughs) Let's suppose this legislation clears the Senate, comes to you in the House. How do you feel about it?
1: I would support it. I think it ensures that there is the local buy-in and there is the local infrastructure build-out that I think would make a development like this more palatable to a local community. And I think certainly we're likely to proceed without any kind of pause in context of the larger regional economic development picture.
0: The idea of these subsidies, of course, has stirred up a lot of discussion ever since they were announced. Of course, there's been politics involved in that. But just speaking practically, Jim, about this, are you comfortable with the amounts that were involved here and and really the notion that this is the cost of doing business if we want to start Really being competitive. Do you still see it that way?
1: I do. I am, without question, an advocate for this development coming to South Central Michigan. And we are competing with many other states. If we're going to have economic development here and not in Kentucky, where Ford had chosen to build out a plant last year, we have to be all in. And if, in fact, Uh, we're not willing to be all in, then I think we continue to live like it's 1975 in Marshall Township and Marshall City and in our region until the end of all time. And that's not going to bode well for economic development in South Central Michigan and in Calhoun County. We have to do something different. Because if we don't evolve, if we want to act as if it were 1975 or 1965 or 1955 and not have change, then we're not going to get more population built out in Calhoun County and in South Central Michigan. And we're going to lose jobs like we've lost jobs 20 years ago and 25 years ago in automotive and in the breakfast cereal manufacturing context.
0: Here's an interesting thought. I was chatting the other day, last week, with uh, Joe Soborowski at Battle Creek Unlimited. We were talking about the Denso announcement. He and the governor and her delegation went to Japan, came back with, uh, with a promise of updates to the Denso facility in Battle Creek. And he made a point of saying, you know, we have to look at more of these kinds of enticements that don't necessarily connect directly to immediate job growth like the Ford project is, but help bolster those who are already here in support of employment opportunities here. Do you see that as being a priority also that it doesn't have to mean a bunch of jobs are coming now?
1: I think the key word is also in... Do I see this as being a priority also? I think that these are not mutually exclusive economic development strategies. I think we have to fortify uh, those manufacturing enterprises that are already in our community, like Denso. Denso is, of course, fortified by Ward Blue Oval coming to Marshall Township. But I also think, uh, given some industrial losses that we've had in Calhoun County over the past 20, 25, and 40 years, we have to do our best to, especially given our I-69 and I-94 unique geographic position, recruit as well as we can to bring new manufacturing opportunity to our community. And again, speaking of uh, economic development uh, occurring in tandem with fortifying present industry and also recruiting new industry, I think that that also can be done conjointly with agricultural continued development and retail continued development uh, in our communities of Battle Creek, Marshall, and Albion.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you bring up agricultural because, of course, that's one of the things that some of those folks against this development have said. We're losing farmland from this, but uh, maybe that's not so much an issue in your mind. I think this
1: real property loss to agricultural maintenance is not as significant an issue in the megasite as it is in context of wind turbine and solar panels development. I think that that's probably a more challenging issue for those who are focused on agriculture, especially if they go to a township like Sheridan uh, near Albion and see the number of solar panels now on former agricultural real property.
0: Well, earlier this year we talked about the idea that as you look forward to the fall session, you expected more partisanship and maybe more than had been the case. How are you feeling about that so far?
1: I think that continues. I I think, and it may be from the perspective of being a majority this year, as opposed to being in minority in the first two sessions I served, especially partisan-filled. Uh, legislative experience. I didn't experience it as much from 2019 to 2022. Again, I think it was because I was in minority. I think you're you're in majority, uh, there are going to be many additional snipes at your caucus and at yourself that you might not have experienced when you were in the minority. Uh, but I definitely think it's been a partisan experience the entire year and certainly in September and the first week of October, as well. Uh, just this week, we had legislative activity concerning some local decision making concerning a rehaul of how real property is taxed. The city of Detroit wants to change its real property taxation system so that those real property sites with improvements a house, a business, an industrial facility are taxed at a lesser rate, and those real property parcels without improvements. Uh, There's a lot of those in, in Detroit. Many of those are picked up by speculators and allowed to just sit. They often don't do anything to those real property parcels to improve them and wait for their lottery ticket number to be called if in fact there's enhancement of that real property, for example, around Little Caesars Arena has has happened in the past 20 years. And I think not unreasonably, the city of Detroit wants to ensure that there's more robust economic development and residential development uh, in its city. So I think it's not unreasonable that unimproved parcels would be taxed at a higher rate and improved parcels taxed at a lesser rate. It's been really interesting, though, in context of how not all Democratic members are on board, Um, how other cities, Ann Arbor, for example, came into play this week, want to be part of this rehaul of a real property system too, Uh, how quickly a 56-54 majority, which is a difficult to manage majority, can be compromised because someone unexpectedly leaves the floor for an emergency medical reason, and we have to abort the rest of session and how negotiations take place between the speaker and the minority leader in relation to votes on uh, bills. The specific bill is a priority of the speaker of the house. Um, So I definitely think there's been a lot of partisanship. I definitely think that from my perspective, it's more pointed than it was from 2019 to 2022. And I think it's probably going to become more accentuated by the possibility that two of our Democratic members might be elected to Southeastern Michigan mayoral positions in November, 2023.
0: Hmm. That is interesting. So here you have two members of the House who, who ran and were successful in their bids to be state representatives representing their areas, but now with mayoral race opportunities coming up, they've become interested in those enough that they're willing to run for those mayoral posts and potentially give up their state house seats. What motivates that, do you suppose? Well, I know these two
1: candidates well. They came into office when I came into office following the November 2018 elections. And quite candidly, They were working under a perception that we would be under term limits, restricting us to three terms of two years' time, that is six years altogether. And I apprehend that they were eyeing this opportunity to run for mayoral positions in Warren and Westland probably at least a couple of years ago. Hmm. And consequently, when Proposal 1 passed last November, November 2022, and term limits were modified in the House to allow six terms of two years per term. I think that they had already cast the die and were already committed to running for mayoral seats. I think in part it's motivated by exhaustion with driving to and from Lansing in the context of Warren or Westland and, and dealing with all the uh traffic detours and one lane experiences that we have to experience while we're repairing the roads in uh, the second term uh, of Gretchen Whitmer's governorship. I think in part it's a longer experience without the tighter term limits associated with the state house. And I'm confident dollars has something to do with it because Mm -hmm. these mayoral positions, if these candidates are successful, they were successful in getting through to a two-candidate meetup following the primary or primaries in uh, August. If they're successful, they will make substantially more as mayors of those two respective cities than they would as state representatives, and do it for a longer duration of time without having to face re-election every two years. I think it's yeah. kind of remarkable. The county board members, starting in 2024, will have opportunity to run for four-year terms. In other words, by legislation, uh, last session, we changed the duration of years of uh, term limits of county board members from two years to four years. But state house members have to run every two years. And more remarkably, members of the U.S. Congress have to also run every two years. So it becomes almost like a continuous campaign season for those serving in two-year terms. And I think that that probably had some decision making motivation for these two members as well. But if one wins, it'll be a 55 54 majority, which will make the uh, Democratic majority in the state house even more tenuous. And if both win, it will be 54 54. My expectation is we'll have a lot of committee informational hearings, but there might not be a lot of. Uh, legislative activity, uh, passing bills, except on very uh, non controversial issues mm-hmm. for the next few months after the November 2023 elections.
0: So, remind us some of us might need a little reminder from our history lessons <laughs> from a while ago, but 5454, that means there could be a tie and there's no tiebreaker, right? That's correct.
1: Um, of course, It doesn't automatically follow that all 54 Democrats would vote for a position that a Democratic leader is advocating for, Mm -hmm. or necessarily that all Republican members would stay in lockstep in relation to whatever their minority leader is advocating them to do. So uh, I believe that there will be a reach across the aisle if that takes place in several instances. However, Again, given what I've perceived the first nine months of the year, I think that there will probably be not a lot of legislation passed in the state house for a couple months. Again, hypothetically, if these two Democratic members of the state house are successful in their mayoral quests next month.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's what they call gridlock, right?
1: <laughs> you know, this happened before. They had a 55 55 tie in the 110. Members' State House of Representatives back in uh, 1995, 1996, I believe, following the 1994 election. And remarkably, and again, this was a time pre term limits, the members got along well and they changed leadership periodically. I don't recall, I've been told uh, how periodically, if it were on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis or a semi annual basis, but they changed leadership and uh, their committee chair ships would change. Interestingly, if this scenario unfolds, if in fact two Democratic members are successful in running for mayor of, Warren and mayor of Westland, the Speaker of the House will remain Joe Tate, uh, who became Speaker of the House back in January, and the chairs of committees will remain the present chairs of committees hmm. that would mean i would continue to be chair of the labor committee in the state house and continue to be chair of the joint commission on administrative rules which is a, a joint commission between the state house and state senate taking up any uh issues that arise from rules making in state agencies which sounds very dry but in fact it takes up a lot of interesting stuff that State agencies regulate everything from fantasy sports gaming to veterinary visits. So there's a Hmm. lot of diversity of what we take up in that context or don't take up uh, in relation to state agency rules making.
0: Well, time will tell, I suppose, uh, what happens there. But that's an interesting purview on what's to come potentially.
1: I think one great thing is the great jobs market numbers Uh, released earlier from the Department of Labor. I think that that suggests that if there's any anxiety about recession, it's mostly likely to be a soft landing. 336,000 new jobs is remarkable. I don't know what it means in relation to the Fed might do next. Increase interest rates to continue to modify inflation. I don't know that. The other variable here is what is the UAW Detroit Big Three? strike going to mean if it lasts appreciably longer. I think the parties are coming together and I, like the governor, am hopeful that uh, the strike will be concluded early. However, it may get more enhanced before it gets uh, done in terms of changes in workplaces uh, right now because of the strike. So consequently, that's uh, an unpredictable variable which would significantly impact upon manufacturing and especially auto manufacturing among our suppliers in South Central Michigan if this strike continues indefinitely.
0: Of course, we're talking here on the first Saturday of the month, and so that means you have your coffee talks today, right?
1: I sure do. And those have been very well attended at Mr. Don's Restaurant uh, on 20th Street in Springfield, to south of Dickman Road and 20th Street intersection. And that is from 9 to 11. And over in Albion between 1 and 2.30 at a bookstore on Superior Street, just southwest of where the Shell Station is, right on East Michigan and South Superior in Albion.
0: All right. So that's coming right up here shortly after our talk at Mr. Don's, and then in Albion later today. Representative Jim Hotsma checks in with us every month or so. We appreciate that. We'll talk to you again soon. I
1: appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.